Join us for Captain's Campaign for Cures. If you plan to attend Vive or Hims this year, get a photo with Captain, our lovable service dog, and we will donate to Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation to find cures for childhood cancer. For every person in the photo, we will donate $1 to Alex's Lemonade Stand. All you have to do is find Captain, grab your friends, take a picture, share it on social media, and put the hashtag Captain Lemonade or This Week Health, and we will make that donation for every person who's in that picture. Our thanks to SureTest and CTG for helping us to end childhood cancer. Today on This Week Health. We're still on a journey for automation, for robotic processing, for just artificial intelligence in general. And we can't forget that because that is all still very critical and important for our operations. Thanks for joining us on this keynote episode, a This Week Health conference show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years, we've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our keynote show partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. All right, here we are for another keynote episode, and today I'm joined by Sophie Liu, CIO for Northwell Health. Sophie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. It's really an honor. I know it's been a while since we wanted to meet up. I'm so glad we have the opportunity to do this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I figured you were busy. I think my first email went to you about 18 months ago saying, hey, would you like to come on the show? And as I would imagine, Northwell is a very active and dynamic organization, very technology forward leaning from a technology perspective. So I figured you had a lot of things to do. But before we get there, one of the things that happens is I want to set the groundwork for Northwell Health. Some of our listeners might not be familiar. Give us an idea of who Northwell Health is from a size scope, geography, and, and mission? Sure. So Northwell Health is the largest integrated health system in New York. We are comprised of approximately, I always have to take a gut check, about 85,000 employees, uh, also the largest employer in New York. We're made up of about 21 hospitals and growing and about 850 ambulatory facilities. That makes up our integrated system core we are always constantly looking at partnering, obviously, with different clinical organizations, and also we expand internationally in different work and different innovations in that front. So are you tri-state or just New York? Because I thought I saw something where you were moving into Jersey. Is that right? So we are predominantly New York. We do have partnerships today that exist all the way up and down the East Coast. So we do have some partnerships extending up into Connecticut arena. We do partner with some of the New Jersey areas. And I think we have a interest in the Boca areas too in Florida. But those are clinical, sort of I call them clinical partnerships. We work closely. So I'm going to ask you about initiatives and, and we'll talk about digital health, innovation, data, and those kind of things. But I want to start with stepping into the role. So again, it's a fairly large organization. It's a fairly prominent role within that organization. Talk about the first 18 months, but the first year of stepping into that role, what does that look like? What does that feel like? How do you get your bearings and get your feet underneath you? So first of all, I am definitely honored to be in this role and what an amazing time and an amazing organization to be in technology and healthcare today. How do I get my bearings and what did I expect? 
well, let's start with what did I expect? It was nothing that I expected. So I could just set the bar there. From my beloved mentor and predecessor, uh, I've had worked with him for over 13 years and been in this organization for that much. And through a lot of the sort of innovative transformations and other growth and expansion that we've done, but pandemic, post-pandemic, and certainly doubling down on digital transformation at this time. I know that's a buzzword. We can go into the actual initiatives of what that means. It really just resetting the foundation for the future, to be honest. And the pace and the change in the environment is just unprecedented, in my opinion. Just like the pandemic is unprecedented, I think that the last 18 months was also unprecedented, but very exciting. You were with the organization for how many years before you stepped into this role? 13, 12? 12 years. So you had some background. You knew who the key players were. You've been there. What, what role did you step from to the CIO role? The chief application officer. So I was responsible for all of the application platform, interoperability, and data warehousing aspect of the, uh, of the organization. So you had that as a foundation. Essentially, you already knew the key players. You already knew the health system very well. You understanding the data and how the data flows is important in the application. Then you have to step into the, I guess, the architecture, the data center architecture and disaster recovery, business continuity, cybersecurity. So those were probably some of the things that were outside of your realm back then. Correct. Uh, I have excellent leaders in those spaces and everything is evolving. Everything is changing. So the bedrock and the foundation that we built upon to operate, we now need to figure out how we continue to run the business at the same time. We're implementing these new initiatives that is really moving every single piece of that foundation all at the same time. And so how do you do that safely? How do you do that while minimizing risks and prioritizing your work? to be able to meet the timelines and the outcomes of the Northwell Nation's priorities as that is also very agile through the years. So what would you, if I were to get this question when I was CIO at the health system, we had 120 projects going on at any given time. And I would laugh when somebody would ask me this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway, top three initiatives that are on the docket today that Northwell is, is trying to accomplish with technology. Yeah. So we actually organized it in three categories, I would say. And I could tell you within those categories, what is obviously the top initiative. Give a background. We have at any time, so our foundation is close to 1,500 systems that we are supporting at any time and growing. If you talk about how many instances across the 21 hospitals or the practices we have of those said application names, we're probably close to 3,000 systems that we're doing supporting today. With that said, you go back to thinking about you need to make sure that those production operations or what we call run the business is resilient, it is safe, and it is performing for the organization. That is bedrock, right? And you need to make sure that you're maintaining those and uh, upgrading and refreshing those so that you are maintaining your cyber posture, you're maintaining your, your functionality and regulatory compliance that you need to do for the organization. So I always start with the bedrock. So on top of that, we have at any time about 900 projects or implementation initiatives that we are working on. And when we took a look, we set on this digital transformation probably about just about when I started in this role in gathering sort of the major constituents across Northwell to say, hey, we know what our mission vision is. We know what our strategic priorities are. How do we double down on technology to enable 
some of those. And what do we need to do to get there? What are your most important, I'll call it tool belts or things that enable the business to achieve its outcomes. So when we started the, that those conversations and we categorized our strategy into three buckets, one would we call digital workspaces. And digital workspaces is, I think, what you would call those departmental initiatives that we want to do in order to service and or stitch together the end-to-end workflows or business drivers that you're trying to do. So the top initiative in the digital workspaces that we have today is the, the enterprise health record replacement, aka Epic Implementation. I saw that announcement. I sort of fell out of my chair because... At St. Joe's in Southern California, we were an Allscripts customer, and uh, North was one of the marquee clients for our Allscripts. And so when I saw that, I thought, oh my gosh, that's going to be a significant amount of work. Because one of the things I knew about Allscripts is we had built a lot of things ourselves, and we had knitted things together ourselves. We loved Allscripts because it was so flexible. But because it was so flexible, we had done a lot of customization. I know the announcement was just made. I look at that and I'm like, there's going to be a lot of work there. But on the flip side, I heard you say 3,000 applications. And one of the things I've heard from people who've gone to Epic is that number of applications comes down almost by 10% just because of the integration that Epic has done. If you consolidate that to how many unique applications, we I'll round it to about 1,500. We're hoping more than what I'm going to say is that our initial analysis predicts that it will replace over 300 systems right off the bat decommissioning and replacing those functionality. If you look at the remainder of 1,200 or so, we will integrate probably a good 200 of those. I'm rounding up. And then we really need to work on whittling down the remainder of systems and understand whether those systems are still needed because they may have been either grown through acquisition and just never really standardized, or they were applications that are being used to meet, I would say, the gaps in the interstitial interstitial space because we had the disparate revenue cycle systems. We had the disparate even though we standardized all scripts with the inpatient, but we had a separate application for the outpatient. And so I'm hoping that we reduce the whole footprint by 50% if I can. But that really more analysis to ensure. That gets back to your foundation that you were saying earlier. To keep that updated with patches, fixes, security, all that stuff, by reducing that, that will create some margin. That'll create some time. Absolutely. And don't forget, every new upgrade, every new anything on one of those systems, you need to ensure that you are testing the systems that are, are that are all interconnected, one up and one down from there. And or if you're implementing something or upgrading something, you got to make sure that you are building, tweaking integrations for all those. And then never mind your data platform, right? Or your data warehouse. We needed to make sure that we spent most of our time mapping all that data to ensure that it can be used across the system. So all of that work should be reduced, which means that we can use that energy and those those investments towards other things for the future. I'm sorry. So you covered one bucket and you're going to yes. do an EHR upgrade across, yes. the, across the board. All right. So that's one small project. What are the other buckets? Not only am I trying to stand to reduce, but I'm also trying to take, let's say we have five instances of different blood banks across the organization. We're also using this opportunity to pick one and implement the one instead of supporting five. So um, doing a lot, expecting a lot, doing a lot, but 
you know what? Which girl gets an opportunity to revamp the whole footprint uh, in a large integrated health system in a lifetime, I would say. So we're up for the challenge. It's really exciting, though, I would think, because when you get that opportunity, when the organization is as committed as Northwell is to this, there's an opportunity to not only reset the foundation for where it is today, but to have an eye on the future. I mean, how are you guys thinking about this as you design the EHR and you're designing these things? What's the future you're trying to create for the clinicians? What's the future you're trying to create for the patients? Exactly. So, I mean, I've been talking about my bread and butter, which is looking at what the foundation technology is and the benefits of it. But the end of the day, we're doing all of this to ensure that we are bringing the revenue cycle outcomes and the lift by having an integrated system with tools at at your fingertips, right? We are looking at ensuring that the clinicians, as they're practicing, they're looking at the holistic longitudinal record. They don't have to go into 26 systems today to be able to inpatient, outpatient. Oh, is this OB or is this cardiology? Is this anything that has inpatient, outpatient? It's just very fragmented, the workflow. And the clinicians are really looking forward to simplifying that and having the sort of the record at your fingertip to, to practice and use for the experience. So, and then on top of that, the two sides of the coin, right? So we talk about doing all of these things to bring joy to the constituents, which are our patients at the center, our clinicians who practice, and also our workforce, our operations who support all of that to deliver the care to the communities and to to our constituents. And so the ability to simplify the interface, the number of systems you can interface as a user and be able to have the lens into the longitudinal record or the the care continuum that we're talking about. Now, this is transactional. And then lastly, you're able to use data to drive decisions, to innovate, even during the transactional, for research, for reimagining things that you want to use for AI, or that's the buzzword nowadays also. It's there for the taking. Yeah. Well, well, we will get back to AI. So you're... so we, we Or can- not. <laughs> Well, this is we, everybody's talking about it. I know, it's impossible not to have a conversation. And I was talking to somebody last week and I said, do you think we're at the peak of the hype cycle? And they said, I think we we're breaking the hype cycle. Like it's, it just keeps. Is that BJ? <laughs> well, no, it was, gosh, who was I talking to last week? HCA CIO is, I'll remember in a minute. But anyway, the, the, the conversation was, I think we're just breaking the hype cycle. Every time you turn around, you think we're at the peak with generative AI and then, then you read, oh, these three health systems are doing this with it. And these three are doing this with it. And you're like, wow, maybe we're just going to redefine what the hype cycle looks right. like. And it's so interesting because people can't stop talking about generative AI. But for the last many years, right, we're still on a journey for automation, for robotic processing, for just artificial intelligence in general. And we can't forget that because that is all still very critical and important for our operations. HCA CIO, Marty Paslik, that's who I interviewed okay. last week. And we were chatting about how we're thinking about it. It's really interesting. Did I allow you to get through your three? Or are we still on number one? No, we're still on number one. All right. So, so I'll quickly go to the other two. So I kind of mentioned it already. The second leg, we call it the constituent relationship management. So in that vertical, we're looking at all things we can do, and we have partnered up with Salesforce to do this, is what can we do to ensure that we are 
optimizing our experience. We know our constituents. We are leveraging that for all touch points through the life cycle, no matter where you're entering or exiting our North Wall Nation. And that is sort of what everybody's doing from a patient experience perspective and marketing and gaps in care perspective. Uh, we also want to look at that relative to our providers and our clinicians. Can we leverage the always two sides of the coin to match up the best synergies to optimize that experience and obviously then the outcomes with it? Wow. That's the <laughs> second one. And that's interesting that it's built on the Salesforce platform. Salesforce has traditionally been really good in the retail space, which is very transactional, people coming in and out uh, pretty often. I, I assume that platform was selected before you became the CIO. No, actually, oh, we, okay. it, these were sort of near-term bets that we're making. And don't forget, Northwell has many diverse sort of um, business lines too. So it, we do have certainly use cases, not only in healthcare, but we have acquisitions, we have supply chain, GPOs. We also have different areas in Northwell Direct, which is providing, it's a revenue generating business that is also providing services to employers. And I can go on. We also do sort of invest in education which is the Center for Learning and Innovation. There's thoughts there. How can we expand that to really maybe be not only continuously feed and develop the workforce for Northwell, but are there ways we can contribute to the community and also partnering with schools that are, I mean, we have a medical school and a nursing school, but are there other ways that we can, we started doing things like, we know that there's a definitely shortage in radiology techs or in laboratory techs or in nursing. So how can we think of curriculums with that inside of learning? And all of these things, if you think about the traditional retail market or what the purpose of constituent relationship management can do, there are opportunities there that you can use to optimize workflow, to optimize your data sort of analysis behind that. And Salesforce also has an AI capability that they are sort of promoting and getting out there. Now, I don't claim to be the know and all know all about uh, the product, but it certainly is and it certainly has top of class reputation. So talk to me about your patient experience today. Do you, have you built your own portal that you're- yes. So it's interesting because as much as I say, I, I don't want to call it a mess, as much as I say the challenging footprint that I have and how much work uh, the team has put in to make a seamless experience for both our patients and our clinicians, uh, we had to develop our own sort of digital front door, what we call a digital patient experience. And so we have a mobile app, both on iOS and Android that enables you to download and use it to interact just like any other, I wouldn't call it a portal, any other digital front door that in, includes scheduling, pay bill, looking at your results like a portal. You're able to use, we have developed a on-demand so you can interact with telehealth through that digital front door to be able to get a consult immediately. And I'm probably missing some of my colleagues will probably kill me, but 
we, it, it's, it's a wonderful app that took a lot of blood and sweat to develop with, if you saw the behind the scene with the number of integrations to make it seamless, it was a lot of work. And also we didn't want to develop an app that is really just a facade where then in the back end, you end up making lists and lists for humans to follow up. So we really took the effort to build that app that truly integrated with the back end core systems of record and ensure that we're building it to minimize all minimize sort of the workforce manual effort. I'm thinking of all the work that went into that. I'm also thinking of all the work that's going to happen moving forward. Now, the good news is that Epic has broken down their API now, so you can just pull the pieces in that you want. So you could actually maintain that experience you're looking for. Uh, Do you get a lot of feedback from the patients, from consumers in the market? on what they're looking for from Northwell and have to digest that and figure out what to build in? Yes. So all through the journey for our current digital front door, we do a regular, I would just call a customer or consumer sort of feedback groups. And we take that very seriously, right? To prioritize and to our, the functions that is a need and or the experience. Our NPS score, I can't quote it right now, but our NPS score on our app is excellent. And we've scaled and added lots of functionality to it. I, I said I was going to get to a lot of things and I'm trying to, there's... You didn't get to the third one yet. Let's stop at the third one. I'll probably give you one question on innovation and how you think about innovation. One question on data. And then I really want to get to the future, like how we're envisioning healthcare in five years. But yeah, uh, yeah third one. Okay. So the third one is data platforms, right? It's data insights, if you want to call it. Because of the disparate foundation today and the growth and expansion, we have a very robust data warehouse and continue to build upon that. But it takes a lot of human effort, as again, to map that data to be useful, to leverage that so that it could be an enterprise data warehouse. So in the future, we're looking to take all the goodness that we have and leveraging, we've partnered up with Google, leveraging Google's data platform to enable us to ingest a lot of these different data sets so that we can also leap off of that platform to enable tech, not only innovation, but also to be able to look at data uh, for Northwell outside of Epic. Epic is one of the sets that we will ingest, but there is many other corporate systems and others that you would want to sort of intersect for us to do some future analytics or future innovation. And so our foresight is that we're investing in that so that we are able to leap off of that. And that was one of our fundamental guiding principles for the future too, is to all of these to us is foundational that will enable us not only to improve and bring the joy that I mentioned, but also it accelerates our capability and make us as an organization easier to leap off of for the future that you just mentioned. Yeah. Well, let's talk about data since we just hit this topic. How is it going to change? How is the way that administrative staff, the way that clinicians, the way that even patients interact with the data, how is that going to change over the next couple of years? And how do you prepare for that? Obviously, you talked about the Google partnership, but how do you envision it looking different over the next couple of years? So I want to go back to say, I want to, I mean, I I know we don't like to go back, but I want to go back to the pandemic, right? I think the pandemic forced a lot of organizations 
to align and truly use data-driven decisions to pivot in everything. We certainly did as an organization in our EOC and looking at sort of the situational data that's been presented to us within the state or within the world. And so we got a flavor of what it meant when a large institution like us is all using the same foundations to steer in one direction or the other. So that's large picture. The future, I imagine, or I hope, is that we will be able to get our hands on any data easily and be able to leverage the capability to analyze that data or use that data for purposes yet imagined. I, I think operational, the capability to have operational data to practice, to measure how we're doing operationally, to look at benchmarking, to look at even using it for research it is to me staple. It'll be interesting to see how the change management happens because people are going to be like, well, where did that source come from? And is it trustworthy? Who governed that? And so there's, it was interesting. I had a conversation with someone that said there was at a time where people, even an epic challenge, whether the, the baselines or the analytics is valid. Where did it come from? What was the algorithm behind it, right? To trust it. And then you have today, because data is so disparate, that our organization can use it independently based on the purpose of the data. But somewhere in between the two, you're going to have a, a system data. And it's going to be a different question set that's going to say, hey, is that data correct? Because it's going to reveal things that you haven't seen before. And some might be good, some might not be so good. And yeah. I think it's the it's the brave new world to be able to bet that data will enable you to drive towards the right direction, no matter what it is that you are working on. And instead of looking at it as penalizing or looking at it, you want to look at it as it's a tool to help you because then you have insight. As you talk about this, some of the things that pop into my head is data literacy. Because we talk it's, about that all the time. Yeah, because it's really interesting. I wouldn't mind just going back and forth with you on these last couple of questions. I mean, so it's interesting to me as we look at this, because we have these natural language interfaces now. And it used to be you had to know SQL and you'd have to have the definitions of the data and you'd have to have yeah. all these things. And it was pretty complex to put these dashboards and stuff together. And I was talking to the gentleman who runs analytics at, at Stanford. And he goes, I think it's all going away. I think the interface is going to be Star Trek-esque, like you and I just going, hey, yeah. uh, give me the census for this month compared to a year ago, yes. and, or give me this and that. And there's going to be a whole bunch of things that are happening, the governance happening systemically in the background and understanding the difference between patient length of stay, this definition, and pa yeah. patient length of stay, this definition. It's, it is a brave new world, but how are we going to how many employees at Northwell? 85,000. 85,000. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not everybody's going to use it. <laughs> right. But you, you almost have to get to the point where data literacy isn't a thing anymore, that the data literacy is sort of systemic and programmed yes. in, and it, it keeps people within the guardrails so that they're not using the data incorrectly. Correct. And there are different levels of data literacy, right? And we have to, I think you started with this. We have to make it so that depending on your role and depending on your need, it has to be understandable. So literacy doesn't mean that we have to study the, the internet 
or have to understand data science altogether and have to be able to do drift calculations for AI, right? It could be as easy as asking a question on a data that in your normal practice that helps your job. So we have to distill down the ability to interact with data based on your persona, in my opinion. And it's going to be simplifying it. And I always say the innovation doesn't happen with the most complex and sexy stuff. Those are brilliant and, and you're inventing. But there's so much need in the just your everyday interstitial space that if we had helped an individual do this one piece of their job that they do a thousand times, it would be a game changer. We just had an AI discussion on one of our webinars and they were talking, UCSD, Chris Longhurst was talking about, we looked at it and we're saving each physician. Gosh, what was it? It was, it wasn't that much. It was like a minute and a half per note. And I yeah, said, I don't have any notes. Right? That's exactly how many, dots, how many notes per, per day. Right. I'll calculate that per year. And that's a lot of minutes. And then that could be a lot more doctoring time. Yep. That's what he was saying. And you keep coming back to this phrase of returning the joy, bringing the joy back. And I hear this a lot when I talk to clinicians. I got into the field of medicine. They will say the words, I enjoyed interacting with patients. I enjoyed restoring people to health or working with children or whatever it happened to be. And technology really got in the way over the last 10, since meaningful use, let's call that 10 yeah. years, yeah. Where we're trying to find our way. And it feels like we're finally coming out of that forest where we're going to we're going to be able to give them five minutes here, 10 minutes here, a minute here, and we're going to make it more of a conversational kind of interaction with the patient, which is right. what I think what we all want to get back to, including the patient. Correct. Correct. And it's a journey, right? Because I think there was good intent in every step of that sort of technology evolution. So I agree with you. I think that it's like opening the patient record too. It's like, does the patient own the record and can I share my own data or not? And how do it, will sharing that data provide me the, the care that I need the way I wanted to be cared for? Like how many years have been chasing that for 25 years, as far as I know, I mean, probably longer, but going back, it's a journey. So the intent is always there to be able to do the right thing, but it took a lot to, to again, build that foundational data set or practice for requirements, right? And I think the whole notion of joy and person-centered design of looking at what you do every day, how you prefer to do what you do every day. And is there a way that we can be great if the technology was actually even sort of absent, but it's there to help you, but you don't even know that you're doing it, right? That would be utopia. I might get me on the soapbox that we're probably the only country, I mean, we're the best country when it comes to healthcare, but we're probably also the only country that has healthcare and even technology driven so much with billing and a re revenue cycle and regulatory that it almost is stifling. I'm, I'm curious. I had this a lot because I was in Orange County, right on the border of the LA market and that kind of stuff. When I would talk about technology, a lot of times the leaders would push back on me and they'd say, look, we serve a very diverse, multicultural community. Do you get a lot of pushback on, okay, how are we going to make this accessible? You probably, if I thought about Absolutely. the number of, number of languages you have to cover, if I thought about the economic disparity you have to yep. cover, it's probably pretty broad. That is always a consideration, even in, if you talk about the populations and diversity, but we even look beyond that to how do we, how are we getting the, the service to the underserved, right? To the communities who are probably not getting the appropriate 
care. Again, we're talking about care. Technology is just an aspect of that care delivery. And again, we're unfortunately, a lot of our care is taking care of the sick, but we want to do preventative medicine. Like we want to be able to uh, have people live healthier lives, stay out of the, the hospital if they can. And again, proverbial, everybody's chasing the same thing, but we truly believe in that. And we are walking our talk in, in the communities that we serve. And so, so you said about the pushback. We had some conversations, again, separate from culture. Culture we could always address because you know what? If we start with culture, every, I feel like age group, Every culture today has a phone. How much you use it, how much you don't use it, you have one. And even if you talk about sometimes the underserved in the community, talk about the homeless, they have a phone. I know. I presented once. We were a Catholic healthcare system. And so we had sisters who were on the boards and they were pushing back at me. And so the next time I was in front of them, I showed them the statistics. And the last it thing- It surprised people, me. They will get rid of their home before they get rid of their phone. And, and shocking, but that led to a really good conversation. It was like, okay, but what kind of phone, how are we going to communicate with them? And we found that texting was one of the most effective ways to communicate with that demographic it led to a good conversation. I think we have a lot of uh, anecdotal information in our heads of, oh, that group is this group is that, and we really need to get into those communities with the people who live there and, and hear from them like, okay, what is the best way to get them involved? And we talk about that a lot with our community leaders. We have extensive outreach into different communities, all communities extending the boroughs. And a lot of the faith leaders or community leaders are indicating to us, just ask, have you come to the community and listen and observe and ask? And that's what we do now. And for a while now, we are very active in and ensuring that we are going to the source and we're not assuming or do these big broad stroke sort of solutioning, let's put it, that's going to solve problems broadly. I think that it, it will surprise you when you ask the direction and the insight you get of what the community needs, not what you assume they need. Sophie, I'm going to end where we started. And I'm curious, because I know it's such a big project, do you guys have a timeline in mind for the EHR? Because I know that it for all the things that it does, it does suck a lot of resources from the clinical side, from the administrative, from all sorts of areas. So I'm curious, are, are you going to take a slow walk towards this or are you going to take a very, very quick walk towards? Ah, do you know Northwell? I could have guessed based on this. Before I'm... I even started, the executive was like, can you do it faster? I'm like, you didn't even hear the timeline yet. <laughs> so we are aiming to complete the institution as we know it today, which is the all of the areas of all the domains in about three and a half years. Well, the good news for you is you're not an early adopter here. Right. So there's a lot of resources, a lot of people, a lot of experience to help. And three and a half years actually, to me, sounds reasonable. I'm wondering why you can't do it a little quicker. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding with you. No. Sorry. That's uh, okay. I just, um, uh, but, but not only do we want to do Epic quicker, we want to make sure we wrap the cloud migration quicker and the consumer relationship all around it and decommissioning all the other stuff quicker. <laughs> wow. It, it's an exciting time because once you get to the other side, I'm talking to some of these health systems that are just on the other side. I talked to Aaron Mary. They just finished yes. their implementation and he was talking about all the things that are now possible. And, yes. and you know, he got a 10, right? 
Oh, I know that was something. Well, you can't go higher than 10 up, but it was something to shoot for getting a 10. That's right. That's right. Uh, it certainly made a lot of friends and a lot of very kind colleagues that have reached out and making sure that you have your network of colleagues to help. Yeah. I was telling you earlier, I mean, I the conversation with BJ Moore at Providence, he's like, look, these are all the things that are possible now. These are the things we're going to be able to do from a clinical quality standpoint, from a clinical variation standpoint, because we, we've gotten to a single system from a messaging standpoint, integration of AI standpoint. We've been preaching this for a long time. Once you simplify that environment, you do free up some resources, you free up some time, you, you definitely gain more focus and you're able to actually move a lot quicker on the innovative stuff that people are really desiring. And you probably bring joy to the IT department. Yes. yes. <laughs> At the end, don't forget them, all the hard work. <laughs> so Sophie, hey, I hope it's not another 18 months before we talk again. Uh, I hope we can do this more often. And I want to really thank you for your time. I know how busy you are right now. Yes. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I look forward to talking again soon. Sounds good. Take care. I love the chance to have these conversations. I think if I were a CIO today, I would have every team member listen to a show like this one. I believe it's conference level value every week. If you want to support This Week Health, tell someone about our channels. That would really benefit us. We have a mission of getting our content into as many hands as possible. And if you're listening to it, hopefully you find value. And if you could tell somebody else about it, it helps us to achieve our mission. We have two channels. We have the conference channel, which you're listening to, and This Week Health Newsroom. Check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast. You get the picture. We are everywhere. We want to thank our keynote partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix, who invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.